the center of North Carolina holds surprising treasures and a rich history. After losing the tobacco and textile industries, Kinston's Mayor B.J. Murphy tells us that his small town turned to the arts for economic revitalization. What would surprise most people is how much the arts have played a role. North Carolina has a rich musical heritage that is now being preserved on the new African American Music Trail. The trail is not an actual physical hiking or roadway, uh, but an experience. A kinetic art sculpture part created by visionary artist Vala Simpson forms the centerpiece of a new district in historic Wilson. Bob Timberlake is one of America's foremost artists and the person behind some of the most successful furniture sold around the world. We visited him at his home gallery in Lexington. I just got to the point where I just do our own thing, you know, our own place. Join us as we experience the art of Central and Eastern North Carolina on World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. hour, we'll take a whirl through the Wallace Simpson Whirligig Park in historic Wilson, North Carolina, and we'll experience the new African-American music trail through the eastern part of the state. Also coming up on World Footprints, we'll visit with artist Bob Timberlake, who may or may not be a distant relative of singer Justin Timberlake. We'll sit down with Bob in his Lexington Furniture and Art Gallery. First, Ian has been traveling to Kinston, North Carolina for decades. His mother's family grew up there and several aunts and uncle and many cousins continue to call Kinston home. But on a recent trip we took to this one-time tobacco capital of eastern North Carolina, there was a new dynamic Kinston that we got to experience for the first time. As you said, dear, I've been traveling to Kinston for decades. But this was my first time exploring the town outside of the family homestead. What we found was a community that is rich in all art forms, from music and visual arts to brewing and distilling arts. Sandy Landis, Executive Director, Community Council for the Arts, CCA, gives us a brief tour of the arts scene in Kinston. Community Council for the Arts is one of the oldest arts councils in North Carolina. Um, we were established 50 years ago in two, October 2015 as a 501c3 nonprofit. We're in a very, very small eastern North Carolina community that was dependent on agriculture, specifically tobacco, and on textiles. And when both of those um, pieces of our economy went away, um, we were also devastated by back-to-back -back hurricanes, which yeah. wiped out 90% of our downtown housing and um, really sent the community in a tailspin. And that was just before the national economy turned. 
So in looking for alternative crops and alternative means of uh, economic development and just sustaining as a community, one of the things that drove us was to take a look at how the arts might actually impact on our local economy. How we could um, in any way just um, bring about some um, revival of that, of that um, economic um, downturn. And so we began to look at what our natural resources were. Our, our projects here at the Arts Council are generally grant funded, those that we do um, with bigger programs. And uh, we have to do that because our, um, our operating budget is about $350,000. We raise 92% of that from our community by every means we can possibly think of. And that's what keeps our doors open. And our mission really has to do with education and um, arts-driven economic development, um, and community involvement, certainly supporting artists of all levels, from emerging to um, student to professional artists. And we have um, always had a rather artful, rich community. Hmm. Um, which is a surprise. Yeah, I would I would say so. Yes, and, it is. Um, it is. We are um, the home of a recently deceased Henry Pearson, who was part of the beginning of the op art phase. Lived in New York City for many many years and died in his 90s a few years ago. Um, and he was very popular in um, in that particular type of genre. Um, and we're the home of Robert Dance, who is a well-known uh, nautical and um, ocean um, uh, visual artist, um, who is just known all over um, all over the country and in many other countries. So. We, uh, we are the home of, of um, this type of artist in terms of the visual art. In terms of the music art, we are very, very rich in our heritage, particularly our African-American music heritage. So when we were looking for how we might actually create some economic development, we actually looked to that natural resource. Um, five of the members of James Brown Band are from here. Mm -hmm. Four of them are living and performing today. Probably the best known is Maceo Parker, who will receive the North Carolina Heritage Award this year in May. Um, but there are many, many other uh, African-American artists, and we, um, we actually began that, um, that project about 10 years ago, and it has just grown into uh, a county tourism trail. Mm -hmm. uh, we have discovered well over 65 artists who date way back into the 30s and probably further beyond that and um, uh, really give us some economic drive here. We're also really interested in um, the, the actual um, development of an artist community, if you will, um, a relocation program where artists can live, work, and sell their work, and they have incentives to work here at the Arts Council. Um, we're very fortunate in this tiny community to be in a property that um, dates to the turn of the um, 19th century and is well over 100 years old. It's on the historic register. It's an ex excellent example of reuse of an old property. Uh, we've lived here about 25 years. It's 30,000 square feet, which is big for an arts council. Yeah. Um, we have the largest public art project owned by an arts council in 
North Carolina. So if you come to visit us, you're going to be visiting the home of the African American Music Trail. You're going to be able to see artwork from all over uh, North Carolina and well uh, to the East Coast. And many times we have international shows. Um, we change out our exhibits every six to eight weeks. Uh, you'll be able to participate in concerts, performing arts events. Um, it's just a myriad of activities that we do. The town of Kinston has a population just over 21,000. But despite its small size, Mayor B.J. Murphy tells us that Kinston has a big city metropolitan feel. We've got that small town southern charm with a lot of the metropolitan amenities from fine dining to great hotels to incredible leisure activities from a river walk to uh, the wonderful coffee shops downtown to the, that, that neat little pizzeria on the corner. Uh, we, we've got so many great things happening in this community. And it's been really neat to watch a transition happen in little Kinston, North Carolina because you know, for years we lost population, we, we lost tobacco and textiles, and the world is changing and it affected our marketplace. And over the last five or ten years or so, our, our local economy has really just taken off, and people are people are visiting Kinston on a regular basis. It's not uncommon to hear someone flying from Texas or Illinois or Massachusetts and, and coming to our community to spend two or three nights because of all the wonderful restaurants and hotels and leisure activities we have. Now, what would surprise most people about Kinston, North Carolina? I, I think what would surprise most people is how much the arts have played a role in our revitalization efforts. Uh, right now we're sitting in our Community Council for the Arts and it is one of the centerpieces to why people are here. The arts community has been highly involved in uh, things like the Riverwalk to a, a new bridge that we're uh, re redoing to uh, the uh, annual barbecue festival in the news. There's, some, there's art is a piece of every single bit of that and it's had a major influence into who our, co our community is and for years, we, we've always been synonymous with baseball uh, on a minor league level. And uh, you know, I, I think it's very confident to say that Kitson and the arts are really synonymous with each other as well. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. We're taking an arts and history tour through the city of Kinston, North Carolina, which is located in Lenora County in the eastern part of the state.
As we've heard, the arts have touched everything in Kinston, and they've been so integral to the city's revitalization that even visual and performing arts have been integrated with brewing and distilling arts, as Stephen Hill, owner of Mother Earth Brewing, tells us. Well, welcome to Mother Earth. Um, this is our barrel aging room. Some of our beers we age in barrels, such as what I'm drinking, which is the triple Asian bourbon barrels. Um, most every barrel that you see in here is a bourbon barrel. There are also are some brandy barrels in here, um, some Pinot Noir and Chardonnay barrels. First of all, I'll tell you how we came up with the name Mother Earth. Uh, my son-in-law and I, I have a lot of old vinyl, and we sat down, I mean a lot. I inherited it from my best friend, we went through, we spent about two and a half weeks going through every one of them, and we wrote down songs that spoke to us, and then we compared the notes, and then obviously had to go through a vetting process. I've got three daughters and a wife, and they all had to agree on one, and Mother Earth's what came out of it, but it really does depict who we are. Um, and Mother Earth is a song from the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Mother Earth provides for me. So that's, and then a lot of our labels or beers are named after songs, Sisters of the Moon, uh, Fleetwood, that's a Fleetwood Mac song. Old Neighborhood is uh, a widespread panic song. I mean, anyway, so uh, our labels are designed by a local artist. She lives about seven miles from here. She was Trent, who is my son-in-law. Uh, she was his art teacher when he was in high school. Uh, th these are my three daughters. So this is Sisters of the Moon, Old Neighborhood. This is the neighborhood, the smart district over here that you saw. This is before we even started on it. We took her over there and we said, paint this the way it should look. All, I mean, these houses right here, they're all, all those right now are still boarded up. Uh, Weeping Willow Wit, Silent Night, uh, Endless River. This is the Noose River, which we have a river, you know, river goes here. The old railroad trellis that was here until the 90s. Um, homegrown we make once a year. It's made from um, with tomatoes and all organically grown on my farm from cows or cow manure that they eat nothing but spent grain from here. And triple overhead is, well that's a, that's a hurricane down in um, off Shackford Banks down North Carolina porch. So then we've, we've actually gone to some other artists to do things. And this is um, Dark Cloud, that's what you're drinking. Okay. Which is, there's Dark Cloud coming. I mean, here it's so flat, you know, you can see Dark Clouds coming for quite a ways. <clears throat> so the brewery is made up of uh, five buildings that were empty. They all had different purposes. The one that you're standing in was purpose-built for uh, a drive-through pharmacy. Supposedly the first drive-through pharmacy in the state and the country, but we'll at least say it, the state. Um, this is the brew house. This is a 20-barrel brew house. Um, these are 40-barrel fermentation tanks, and we also have some 60 barrels. So we have to do it twice in a day, uh, that takes about 12 hours So uh, to do two batches. Uh, the first 
large vessel is hot liquor. Don't know why they call it that, but it's just pure hot water. Uh, the next one's mash tun. Then you got the kettle, which is the boil. Whirlpool, it's gonna clean it out some more. And then you got cold water. Uh, all of our grain, we brew every beer that we brew, we brew it to complete style. So if it is a German beer, our grain is going to come from Germany. You know, it's gonna be malted there. I'm sorry, I mean, you know, that's, we're, we're true style. Um, as you can see in the bags back there. To learn more about the city of Kinston and Lenora County, go to visitkinston.com. We will also have a link to the Kinston tourism page on this show page at worldfootprints.com. destination spotlight, we visit the CSS News Interpretive Center in downtown Kinston, North Carolina with Holly Brown. What we have here is what's left of the CSS News, which was a commissioned Confederate ironclad and at the moment is the only one that you can see on display. And what we have left of it is only about one third of the original overall physical structure. And since we're missing so much of it, we've added this framework or ghosting up over the top that helps illustrate just how much of it is missing. We also have about 12,000 artifacts that were recovered with the gunboat. And we have a lot more of them on display than we've ever had the opportunity to do so before, including some really amazing pieces like original armor plating, um, the ship's bell rope that survived everything this boat's been through. Um, my personal favorite is the Lee and Perrin's Worcestershire sauce bottle because I feel like people can still relate to that easily. Um, we have pieces of the canning carriage and projectiles, just some really great story pieces that help the, the history come to life. 
but we also have letters from five of the 98 men who served on board that give us a wealth of information, some of it discovered much more recently than others. Why did the ship have the name that it had? Was it because it was based here in Kinston and the Neuse River, or is it because it was found in the river here? I'm just curious uh, about that. The name this. is the CSS Noose, which stands for Confederate State or Confederate Steamship. Um, depending on the record, sometimes it was just CS Noose. But Noose for the Noose River where it was built, it was built about 20 miles further inland at a community called Whitehall, which is now known as Seven Springs. And it was built there, but due to delays, took some extra time to get down here to Kinston, where it was later outfitted with its engines, boiler, cannons, and armor plating once it was here in Kinston. It was wood below the waterline and the flat decking surface above the waterline was also just wood. They did have two layers of decking, one that was a 12-inch layer and another that was a 4-inch layer on top of that, so it was still quite substantial. The legacy of music runs deep throughout North Carolina, but against a backdrop of music from local artists Eric Xavier Dawson and Majesty Rose from Kinston's Community Council for the Arts, Daryl Stover, cultural historian for the African American Music Trails of North Carolina, tells us how the eastern part of the state is now being recognized for its musical contributions. For those who are not familiar with this new cultural and historical attraction here in eastern North Carolina, tell us about this African American Music Trail. Well, the African American Music Trail uh, essentially uh, came about as a result of an interest in documenting rich musical heritage inclusive of gospel, blues, R&B, jazz, creative individuals coming out of eight specific counties. While the state celebrates and had examined its musical heritage in the western part of the state with the uh, Blue Ridge Heritage Trail, um, it was felt by certain people uh, here in the east that that self-same investigation and celebration and honoring uh, could take place. So over the years, there were a host of individuals who played roles as um, documenters of the music. Uh, There were community individuals trained as documentarians who went forth and interviewed, filmed, photographed, Uh, a whole host of musicians, some of whom are very familiar to us. Uh, Maceo Parker being a major uh, player within the context of the musical heritage coming out of North Carolina. Uh, But certainly everybody knows, as James Brown would say, Maceo. But then when we also look further, there are other significant players, some no longer with us, like Thelonious Monk, who's out of Rocky Mount, which is Nash and Edgecombe County. C.L. Barnes, who I'm climbing up the rough side of the mountain, who comes to us also out of Nash County. Billy Taylor, jazz musician and scholar, 
who some of us got quite used to seeing on Sunday mornings on CBS talking about the music. And then certainly if we talk about how this music makes this region different in ways, shapes, and forms, or what is it? Some people like to say, well, is it something in the water in North Carolina or even eastern North Carolina uh, with this significant plethora of musical talent? Well, I think there's something to be said for uh, the apprenticeship system that existed. And that system existed in two specific places uh, I like to celebrate and examine, which is the church and the educational system. Uh, Evelyn Perry came here in the late 40s after leaving uh, the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. She was a saxophone player, trained as a music educator at Howard University. Uh, she came here to Kinston to uh, teach music and maintain the band at Atkins High School. Uh, since her time, there have been untold many saxophone playing music educators uh, and certainly saxophone players. So who comes out of that system? Maceo Parker. Uh, who comes out of that system? Ira Wiggins, who now heads the jazz program in Durham, North Carolina at North Carolina Central University. Uh, there are several folks who've come after him. Uh, his major protege could said to be Brian Miller. And then there's another Brian, Brian Horton, who's now completing his PhD in music, and he's a saxophone player, and he's doing that down in Texas. So when we look at that aspect of the music, that's significant. But then let's look at the aspect of uh, that stream and thread that takes us through James Brown because uh, Nat Jones was a major player there, and he's from out of this community here in Kinston. He sort of wrote and documented and put on paper what could said to be the essentials to what uh, we like to call the funk. Certainly, Maceo Parker wasn't the only Parker that played with James Brown. Melvin Parker played drums. If we look at an album, cover like James Brown, Grits and Soul, who do we see playing saxophone? We see Nat Jones and Maceo Parker as young men uh, playing a very important music that to this day uh, we, we revisit through the fact that yes, Maceo still travels and plays all over the planet, but then we also see it manifested in the way it's incorporated uh, in hip-hop music. Daryl, does the African-American music trail, is it just central to Kinston or does it traverse North Carolina? First, you should understand that the music trail is eight counties in eastern North Carolina. Those eight counties are Edgecombe, Nash, Pitt, Lenore, Wilson, Wayne, Green, and Jones counties. And we like to say that the trail is not an actual physical hiking or roadway, uh, but an experience. So within that context, you have these major pockets of the spaces and places in which people were, where they were living, where they were playing the music, where they were learning how to play. So in many communities where there were the churches and the schools, uh, Kinston would be a major city, Goldsboro would be another, Wilson would be another, Thelonious Monk is from Rocky Mountain. But then there are even smaller places like LaGrange and Pink Hill, where
where some of these other players are from. And in fact, we could list over 100 musicians in the guidebook, the uh, African-American Music Trails of Eastern North Carolina, you get a wonderful archive of, of images and locations, and you even get to hear the music because it includes a CD with some of the representative music from some of the people I've been speaking to. And I think in that regard, you get a sense of the experience of what uh, this musical heritage is. Uh, certainly, uh, the places where music is played and where food is eaten is also important. So there, presently, because we're talking about music that was made and performed you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, moving to this present time. So when we start to look at the music that's played in the 21st century, you still have jazz. You still have R&B. You still have an energetic cadre of younger musicians taking up the mantle and still playing it. To learn more about North Carolina's African American Music Trail, visit AfricanAmericanMusicNC.com. We will also have a link to the music trail on this show page at WorldFootprints.com. Listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Just ahead, we will walk through the Wallace Simpson Whirligig Park, whose kinetic art sculptures is the centerpiece of a new arts park and district in Wilson, North Carolina, in the eastern part of the state. And later, we will travel to Lexington, North Carolina, in the center of the state, to visit with Bob Timberlake, one of America's foremost artists. If you want more travel experiences beyond this show, visit our website worldfootprints.com place where you can see the rhythm of color move in motion with the wind as large kinetic sculptures made from scrap metal excite the senses. This is a place that visionary artist Wallace Simpson built. Simpson's fanciful creations jingle, jangle, and clatter to the delight of visitors to his namesake park in Wilson, North Carolina. You can hear them in the background during our visit. Simpson may not have appreciated his own prowess as an artist, but Jenny Moore explains what inspired this World War II veteran to turn salvage 
into something magical. During World War II, he was stationed on the island of Saipan in the Pacific and worked on airplanes. He was really mechanically inclined. Um, at one point, the, the troops were tired of wearing their dirty clothes over and over again, so Wallace um, built a um, wind-powered washing machine to wash their clothes, and he kind of got that fascination with wind power when he did that. Came back to Wilson County, wasn't interested in farming, so he continued the rigging work and he also opened a machinery repair business out on his farm. After Wallace opened a repair shop, he began collecting parts and supplies that he didn't want to see go to waste. When a cotton mill closed in this area, he'd be asked to just get rid of the stuff that was there and he dumped it all on the farm. He was a child of the Depression and um, never throw anything away. You might be able to use it. So over the years, he accumulated a lot of material, mostly metal. Also had um, connections with junk dealers, so he would trade things for them. And when he was in the early 1980s, he began to tinker around with some of this stuff, and that whole fascination with wind power came back to him. He started at first doing it on weekends, and then he retired from his day job and began doing it seven days a week. And by the late 80s, he had 30-some of these what he called windmills um, uh, arranged around a lake on his property. He... Um, began to get noticed by people in the folk art field and when the Visionary Art Museum was built on the Inner Harbor in um, Baltimore, mm -hmm. Rebecca Hofberger, who started that, commissioned a piece and I think that was probably his first major out-of-state commission. Um, the Atlanta, the, when the Olympics were in Atlanta, they commissioned pieces from Ballas for there. He has them, really, they're kind of all over the country. There's one in, at a science museum in Minnesota. There are uh, almost, there are about a dozen at what is now a dead mall between Albuquerque and Santa Fe. Um, so, and people began coming to Wilson County at first just kind of word of mouth. And then the, the tourism um, agency here began promoting it for people to come and they would go out to the farm to see this. And then when the project began, um, they began to come down here to see the conservation and to see what was happening at the park. But we've, the visitor center has documented people coming from uh, 24 countries and 48 states. So um, it's, a, it's really amazing. I mean, just last week there were what, four people from Russia who were here. Um, there, there was a mother-daughter who had flown to Baltimore for some activity they had there. They saw the Whirly Gig at the um, Visionary Art Museum, and on the spot they rented a car and drove down here to see these. So it's, it really does have a great appeal to people. It's so joyful and so fun um, that a lot of people are drawn to it. On this very windy day, under the clattering sounds of the Whirly Gigs, 
Henry Walston shares the backstory of Wallace Creations and the genesis behind the development of the Whirligig Park. When he was in his late 80s, early 90s, he realized that if he didn't make a decision about doing something with them, they would eventually just rust away. So we reached an agreement with his family. We were going to move the entire collection, minus two, to downtown Wilson. We were going to, um, first and foremost, preserve the artwork and Wallace's legacy. Secondly, we were going to generate tourism in our community. And thirdly, we were going to use the whirly gigs or the art to be a stimulus to generate economic development and revitalize a historic downtown, which had once been the world's largest tobacco market. That's where people came to. We grew uh, tobacco in Wilson. We sold tobacco in Wilson. We processed tobacco in Wilson. And then we shipped it to places like Richmond and Durham and Winston-Salem to be made into cigarettes. Actually, it was shipped all over the world. I mean, we had people that lived in Wilson that lived in China and Thailand and, you know, worked in the worldwide tobacco market. Um, so we started bringing the whirly gigs downtown and we we're going to take you to the conservation headquarters and show you you know how we how we're doing it and you'll be able to see what they look like when we bring them in which is not very good this is what this is what the finished product looked like adjacent to the whirly gig park is a large building that once served as a tobacco warehouse Henry takes us inside the gutted facility to offer a vision for the commercial development plans. A, a local person bought the whole frontage on this plot. This building had been boarded up for years. It was a dump. This, 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 and this, you can see what he's done to the front. This is going to be a brewery. He's in the process of putting his brewing equipment in right now. And then he'll, he's got these two buildings for lease next to it. Hopes one of them to be a restaurant and then the two end spots they are available for development and this new street you've seen the city put this in because anytime economic economic development is generated the city you know gets the infrastructure you know so upgraded all because of your efforts to create this park. Yes, all, the, all this is happening because of the Whirly Gig Park. And the Farmer's Warehouse? The Farmer's Warehouse is a privately owned business right now. It's a tire warehouse. People go there and get buy tires yep. and get their brakes fixed and everything. Um, the family that owns that, we feel like they're receptive to, if we can find them a place to relocate to you know, generate yeah. development on that. There are a number of things we've got in mind. The High Dollar Warehouse, that is owned by Wilson Downtown Properties, which is a 501c3. We bought that warehouse because it had been sold for salvage. They were going to tear it down. That's a 64,000 square foot building. They're getting ready to break ground. They're going to turn it into 81 apartments, two restaurants, retail space and a Volley Simpson Whirly Gig Park gift shop welcome center museum. As we leave Wilson, the Whirly Gigs send us off in a chorus of jingles.
to learn more about the Wallace Simpson Whirligig Park in Wilson, North Carolina, visit wilsonwhirligigpark.org. We will also have a link to the Whirligig Park on this show page at worldfootprints.com. In this destination spotlight, Keith Wright of Lexington Barbecue in Lexington, North Carolina, takes us into the barbecue pit to explore the preparation of barbecue, a North Carolina delicacy. A lot of times folks try to pit one against the other. Eastern style, is it better than Western style or Piedmont style? You're going to hear that all the time here in North Carolina, especially. It's apples and oranges. I love all barbecue. It's just two different styles in the same state. That's all it is. So don't be alarmed when they say, oh, it's whole hog, and you get slaw that's coleslaw and not barbecue slaw, and you get corn sticks that aren't flesh buckets. It's, like I said, it's out All barbecue is good, no matter what. But what we do is a real basic barbecue that we do. We cook our shoulders. We don't have a dry rub. We don't do a basting on that. What we do is basically just salt it down pretty heavily. So our flavor comes from the actual smoking of our meat, generally about 10 to 12 hours. We started these about, uh, and I'll show you the pits in a minute. We started these about, probably about six, and they just came off about six. So they've been on there about 12 hours. Shoulders right here, we've got coming off. So generally takes about 12 hours. About every 30 minutes, depending on the weather, depending on humidity, depending on your wood, you have to really pay attention to what you're doing back here. We train a guy probably a year before we let him cook back here by himself. So you notice there's no uh, monitors, there's no sensors, there's no, you go by feet. That's how we cook it. So about every 30 minutes or so, that's when we fire it. And I'll kind of show you how we do that. Let me show you basic steps of what we do. This kind of This is what we call the firebox. So we burn our coals in there. That's where we're going to get our smoke source and our heat source from. So you can see uh, those are getting about the size coals that you need. You want it roughly about the size, I would say about the size of a cue ball or, or a tennis ball. About that size is what you want when you get ready to spread those on your pits there. It's not bad right now. When you really fill that thing up, the temperature probably goes up here, goes up about 20 degrees probably. It's really, really, oh yeah. Back in the summer, it's probably about 115 to 120 in here in August, but it's great in the wintertime. Bob Timberlake is an internationally acclaimed American artist and furniture designer. His realist depictions of life in his native North Carolina has touched the hearts of millions of people around the world. Bob is the fifth generation of Timberlake furniture designers, and although his designs are seen around the world, Bob tells us that there is no place like home. And that is where we met with Bob in his Lexington, North Carolina home gallery. That's the reason this building's here, because everywhere I went, people wanted to know where they could see 
uh, furniture on our world. And they really, they couldn't come and see it, you know, at the furniture market because, you know, it's dealers and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I fussed about that for the last 26 years. But anyway, so I finally just got to the point where I just do our own thing, you know, our own place and, and have a place that people could come from Dillard's in Houston, Texas or wherever and come here and, and see our world, our furniture, our, my art, my, where we lived and what really, really where all this generated from. The furniture, uh, I am told, was the most successful line of furniture in the history of the world. And, uh, well, I don't know how to tell you all, all this, and if you don't know it, but that, that's what it is. It's, uh, the market over here is humongous. And uh, it's the largest furniture market in the world. It's no wonder that the Timberlake brand has global popularity. The family has been in the home furnishing business for over a hundred years. My granddaughter, fifth generation in in my family in the furnished home furnishings business. She was there. She's 21. She goes to the University of North Carolina. And everybody, you know, people are nicer to me when she's there. <laughs> she's uh, not, not that they're always, they're always nice. And it's kind of like Christmas Eve when I go, but uh, I look forward to it every year. It's just fun. But uh, anyway, she's uh, 21 years old and, and just a lot of fun to, to be over there with. And never seen a stranger. And fifth generation, as I said, we've been in the fur- home furnishings business technically with uh, uh, registered uh, since 1913 so we've been in 103 years actually longer than that because my grandfather started in 1905 but this is our world you can see our brick out here Uh, a friend of mine gave me this when we built it for my birthday Uh, the weather vane everybody says that's that's our logo and they, they, how'd you come up with a logo? Well, Ben Franklin, I hate to say, he, he kind of started a few years before we did. It's the quill. The quill's mightier than the sword, as we all know, especially y'all. And it's uh, been humongous for us. The quill on the roof is nine, that, you can look how big that is, but the one up there is nine and a half feet across. And we've used it in clothing. We, you know, we work with Bass Pro Shops all over the country. I don't know how many they have, 60-some or whatever it is. Our clothing is one of their biggest selling things, our luggage, uh, women's clothes and men's clothes. You're listening to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to American realist artist Bob Timberlake. So we, we do all kinds of stuff. Um, the furniture obviously keeps a lot of people working. Uh, I've been working really hard for the last 15 years trying to keep it in the United States. You can't do every. I finally, after all these years, I've been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. Um, that outdoor furniture out there on the porch right there is made out of out of milk jugs, but right here in North Carolina. And it's the best outdoor furniture in the world, because I've tried everything in the world. 
and uh, I've been working with Keep America Beautiful since 1975, and Iron Eyes Cody with a tear in his eye, we did those PSAs here. Mm-hmm. We did most all the PSAs, and we did, he and I worked together from 75 till he died, and he was here all the time, and we traveled, we'd been to the White House, to the Oval Office, Studio 54 in New York, we, <laughs> we, uh, we've been all over the country and all over traveling together, and uh, he was quite a character too, by the way. Um, but he instilled in me, which I already had, the environmental ideas of trying to save, we save and recycle and everything else. We actually make our rugs right here in North Carolina with Karastan out of, out of bottles, water bottles. Mm-hmm. So we try to do everything we can, but you can't do everything. We do about 90% of what, whatever you see in here is made in North Carolina or made in America. And we're doing all we can to do that. And it's very important to us. Even the glass in these windows is, is, is uh, the pommel glass, the hand-blown glass, is made up in Milton, West Virginia, uh, between Charleston and, between Charleston and uh, Huntington. But, uh, and then you might notice the quote over the door there on the other side is Latin, but that's what this place means to us. And it's um, a very special place to have folks like y'all to come in, and we really do appreciate you taking the time to come see us. to World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we're talking to American realist artist Bob Timberlake. Bob tells us that Timberlake furniture is so innovative and progressive that you just can't stick one description label on it. Well, it's been, uh, we've had it described by the media, everything you can think of, uh, Americana, American, Log Lodge. Uh, it's evolved, though. We're even doing... Uh, uh, mechanical we're doing things that are made out of iron and glass and stuff so actually it's it's uh, the biggest problem that we've had has been putting a tag on it it's it's um, it's the most successful line of hit furniture in the history of the world I mean all over the world we had it in Harrods and London and you know Belgium uh, all over the world and of course had a lot of people working um, to give you an idea, and I don't throw out numbers or try to, but the first 15 years, I'm told, uh, was $1.5 billion in wholesale sales. Just, uh, and that's in itself amazing. Uh, but when it started in trying to label it, it was um, the, the, one, the most wonderful thing that I heard when we first started was that uh, these were the antiques of the future. Bob tells us that his love for his family and the place he calls home are the major influences on his designs and art. What influences your style, your aesthetic, and how did 
That's a long story. Oh, I know, that's why I asked, but I'm always interested in in the eye of an artist. Well, I can tell you exactly what it is. This is from where I'm from. It's from this place that we're standing here. It's from here. It's my family's, uh, my family and my wife's family. Well, let's put it like this. We have three children. Our three children's parents have been in this county 550 years. We've lived here 550 years, my wife and I. And she's the only one. <laughs> Truly. She, our, our forefathers are actually buried in the same yeah. grave, shoulder to shoulder up here at Pilgrim Church. Honestly. So what I'm trying to tell you is that that family heritage, feeling of home, feeling of uh, the character that it brings, I think, the, the love of and affection for where we are and what we do and the people that are here and all that, all of that's what makes me tick. Whether it's painting, it's I, all I'm doing is the things I love to do the most. And if I see something and want to make a stool out of it like that, then that's what I do. And I'm, a love unexpressed is only an illusion. But if you can express it and see it come to fruition, you know, just multi, just multiplies. And that's this love of this place and this region and this area. I can't go anywhere, and I've traveled all over the world, but I can't go anywhere that I just can't, you know, wait to get back to here. Apparently, Bob shares his bed, designs that is, with a lot of notable people. President Mrs. Barbara Bush sleep in the same bed we sleep in. I have fun. I see people all the time that sleep in my bed. I tell them. I, <laughs> I see them at a cocktail party and say, oh, God, you sleep in my bed, don't you? <laughs> anyway, we have fun with that. Anyway. Clint Eastwood sleeps in my bed. You get around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of fun. To view Bob Timberlake's art and furniture collections, visit bobtimberlake.com. We will also share a link to Bob's gallery on this show page at worldfootprints.com. Oh dear, you know, North Carolina was full of so many surprises and I would guess maybe one of the biggest surprises was when you experienced traveling to Kinston. Indeed. Uh, Kinston, as uh, we said earlier in the show, is my mom's hometown, and I've been going there since I was two, uh, from what I can remember, and just spending time and all the memories on my grandmother's farm there. And so this trip to Kinston really was different for me because... I saw Kinston in a light I've never seen it before, and it was pretty remarkable to see great restaurants, uh, Mother Earth Brewing, the O'Neill Hotel, and this art scene, which just really struck me. I was floored by what one could do in Kinston today. The art and the music. Uh, scene and you know I was going through some photographs looking for photos for this uh, show page and I went down memory lane you know I remembered our time with Vivian Howard the PBS 
chef and the wonderful grits that she gave us as a uh, as a going away gift and you know the music trail of course and uh, the whirly gigs I mean there's just so many great things that I wasn't expecting and I think one of my biggest surprises was how much pork I ate on that trip to North Carolina we had more pork during the, those two weeks uh, down there than I've ever had I think in my life yeah from King's Barbecue in Kinston all the way over to Lexington Barbecue in Central North Carolina, we experienced pretty much the full range of North Carolina barbecue. And uh, you mentioned the Whirly Gigs, and to me, that speaks volumes about the richness of the art scene in North Carolina. We take Vala Simpson, who uh, grew up outside of Wilson. And today, he's an internationally renowned artist that people have discovered are coming from all over the world to see these whirly gigs, which are a pretty fascinating piece of kinetic art. Yeah, and you know, and one of the things we didn't mention early in the show is that the whirly gigs have been named the official folk art for the state of North Carolina, and that's how important that art form uh, is to the state. And really, if you look closely at a whirly gig, and it's kind of like one of those those contraptions that you know where a marble is. Uh, going on several tracks and you're just trying to figure out how it works. It's a very interesting mechanical feat that he uh, accomplished in creating those things. Yeah, and as we think about art again and, and just the impact that it's had on these small towns, we saw that in Kinston. We saw the revival that's burgeoning in Wilson. And then we go over to Lexington and we meet Bob Timberlake. And again, you know, Lexington, North Carolina is not necessarily a place that people beat a path to. But because of Bob's presence there, he's put it on the map along with racing in that part of the state as as we experienced visiting uh, Richard Childress uh, and his facility there. But again, I think it just speaks to the breadth and, and scope of what one can do in North Carolina. Yeah, it's known for barbecue and it's known for NASCAR. But the arts are really big and the arts are really helping a lot of these places that were so reliant on tobacco and textiles to really have a future as interesting places where art's taking place and where people are seeking that out, whether they're in North Carolina and some of the Metrolina cities or Charlotte uh, or elsewhere all over the country or all over the world for not just art but cuisine. You know, and we talked about Vivian Howard and certainly the barbecue, but we had many, many other dishes. And actually, they were huge portions. That was the other thing that I I spotted. Uh, You know, some of the photographs uh, we took as travel journalists, the camera always eats first. And so I took photographs of all of the plates, and I was shocked at how large the portions were. I'm surprised we didn't come back 10 pounds heavier. Well, speaking about the arts and the African-American Music Heritage Trail, we'd like to leave you with a quote from John Hope Franklin, the leading African-American history professor of his era, who once taught at Duke and North Carolina Central Universities. We must go beyond textbooks, go out into the bypass and untrodden depths of the wilderness, and travel and explore and tell the world the glories of our journey. 
thank you everyone for joining us on World Footprints today. We're Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to sharing our next journey with you. World Footprints Radio with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints Media, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning radio show can be heard around the globe on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. Visit worldfootprints.com for a complete list. World Footprints Radio is a leading voice in socially responsible travel. At worldfootprints.com, you'll find an archive of past broadcasts, travel news, reviews, and information you can use to deepen your travel experience. Listen, learn, and live it at worldfootprints.com.